Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Out of the 21 chapters in the New Testament Gospel of John, five chapters are devoted to John's description of the events that have come to be known as the Last Supper. It's a lot of chapters, and I want to explain why. You see, at the Last Supper, it was just hours before Jesus was going to be arrested. When Jesus was arrested, it set off a series of events. He was put on trial. He was executed. He died on a Roman cross. On the third day, he rose again. After his resurrection, Jesus stuck around for 40 days. He encouraged, he inspired, he appeared to groups as large as 500. This is historical fact. After 40 days, Jesus ascended back into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to work within his followers. 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven was the day of Pentecost. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus established something called the church. One of his disciples, Peter, stood up and preached a sermon. And what was launched that day was called the church age. We're still in that age today. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that when Jesus was speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, he was not just preparing them for the hours and days to come, but for the years, for the decades, and even for the centuries. So I would suggest to you that the words that Jesus spoke at the Last Supper apply to us equally as much as they did to the disciples 2,000 years ago. So let's lean in as we jump into John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. If you find the godless world is hating you, remember, it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When that happens, remember this. Servants don't get better treatment than their masters. If they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. If they did what I told them, they will do what you tell them. They are going to do all these things to you because of the way they treated me, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I hadn't come and told them all this in plain language, it wouldn't be so bad. As it is, they have no excuse. Hate me. Hate my father. It's all the same. If I hadn't done what I have done among them, works no one has ever done, they wouldn't be to blame. But they saw the God signs and hated anyway, both me and my father. Interesting. They have verified the truth of their own scriptures where it is written, they hated me for no good reason. When the friend I plan to send you from the father comes, the spirit of truth issuing from the father, he will confirm everything about me. You too, from your side, must give your confirming evidence since you are in this with me from the start. During the Last Supper, Jesus talks to his disciples about how to relate to God. In order to do so, you must remember that God is for us. He's with us. He's working within us. Not only that, he wants to work through us to bring hope and help to a world in desperate need. Jesus also spoke about how we are to relate to one another. He says, love one another 
as I have loved you. That's a pretty high bar. He washed his disciples' feet and he said, just like I stepped into human history not to be served but to serve, hey, serve one another. But now there's a transition and Jesus starts to speak about how you and me are supposed to relate to the world. And what I want to do is over the next three weeks, I want to talk about three truths that we need to understand if we're going to relate to the world. The world will hate you, the world will let you down, and the world needs you. So today, the encouraging subject, the world will hate you. Isn't that nice? Everyone likes to be hated. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Pretty confusing, actually, and I would say probably discouraging. And my goal today is actually to bring clarity to the confusion. Because I think when we do, we are not going to walk away discouraged. In fact, I believe that when we bring clarity to the confusion of what it really means to be hated by the world, we'll walk away challenged, inspired, and encouraged. The world will hate you. Plays out on three levels. Spiritual, existential, and relational. The world will hate you. It's a spiritual truth. You have a spiritual enemy named the devil. Over the last few chapters in the Gospel of John, we've heard Jesus describe the devil as the ruler of this world and the prince of this world. So let's talk about that for a second, because your spiritual enemy has something called limited dominion in this space, in this world. Limited dominion. Okay, so we know that Jesus is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, right? And we know that Jesus himself said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And yet the devil has been given limited dominion to cause his chaos and his destruction. I would explain it this way. It's kind of like God is playing chess and the devil is playing checkers. That God is writing this story throughout human history. It's a story of restoration. It's a story of redemption. But in his limited dominion, there's the enemy of your soul working destruction. And in the end, God brings even bad things to good. But in this moment right now, the enemy brings destruction, which is important for you and me because if you are a follower of Jesus here today, you understand this. You didn't just show up in this moment of human history by accident. In fact, you understand on some level that you've been placed on this planet in this moment for a reason. That you have the friends and the family and the neighbors and the coworkers that you do for a reason. That you're actually here in all your imperfection, you're actually here to bring light and hope and healing and life to the world, which is a big deal because the prince of this world, the one who I told you has limited dominion, he doesn't bring any of those things. Destruction, despair, darkness, and death. Do you see the opposition? It's light versus darkness. It's hope versus despair. It's healing versus destruction. It's life versus death. So as you live your life, especially as a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this world is not a playground, it's a battleground. And you will face resistance, which is so important to note, you know? Because I think there's a part of me and there's a part of you that thinks, hey man, when I face resistance, 
it's a sign that something is very, very, very wrong in my life. When I'm facing resistance, there's a part of me that thinks, man, this is very wrong. I would suggest to you, however, that this world we live in, being the battleground that it is, if there is an area of your life where you are facing resistance, it may well not be a sign that something is very wrong. It may, in fact, be that something is very, very, very right. Because there's something inside of you, there's something inside of me differently, definitely, that we kind of move towards the path of least resistance. Notice that. And yet I'm telling you, every time you bring light and healing and hope and life to the world, you will face resistance. So you see somebody in a marriage and they say, man, this marriage isn't easy. It's hard. And I'm facing resistance. And, and something inside of us at times tells us in that moment, well, there's something wrong with this marriage. I picked the wrong person. That's a whole sermon for another day, but you didn't pick the wrong person. You are the wrong person, so change. Okay, but, but anyways, that's a, okay. But, 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 but I picked the wrong person, or, or this marriage is too hard. It's a sign that something's wrong. No, what it is is a sign that the stakes are really high. This life is not a playground, it's a battleground. You will face resistance. And here's the thing, you will overcome that resistance with God's help. But you need to understand then that the goal of your life is not to follow the path of least resistance. It's like parenting, right? Sometimes parenting is difficult. Find it hard to encourage and love and direct those kids. And sometimes when it gets difficult, there's a part of us that might look and say, man, it's just not for me. I'm just not a good dad. I'm just not a good mom. I would suggest to you that nothing could be further from the truth. Hear me when I say this, that you're actually the dad who God chose to parent those kids. You're actually the mom that God chose to parent those kids. And you will face resistance. Not because things are hopeless, not because you are wrong, but because things are very, very right. You can overcome this. You can be the parent that you were created to be with God's help. But first, we got to understand that the goal of our lives, the sign that our lives are going right, is not the path of least resistance. It, it applies to so many areas. I want to live with integrity. I want to be a, a truth speaker. I want to stop gossiping, you know? And so you stop gossiping and you notice all of a sudden, man, I just lost a couple friends because it's the only thing that we ever had to talk about. Is something wrong? Mm. Something's really, really right. You're going to face resistance when the stakes are high. You're going to face resistance when the stakes are high. This world will hate you. It plays out spiritually in this sense. Our world is not a playground, it's a battleground. And our goal is not to gravitate towards the path of least resistance. So number one, it plays out spiritually. Number two, it plays out existentially. I don't have to convince you of this. This world is hard. It's a difficult world we live in. It's hard to make ends meet, you know? It's funny living in our culture. Because just when you think you've made ends meet, the ends just seem to magically move further apart. 
right? Like a year and a half ago, you said, man, if I was ever making this much money, that would be enough. And now suddenly it's not enough. It's so frustrating. Contentment is so hard in our world. I don't need to convince you of that. And it's not just money. It's this feeling of success. It's this feeling of validation. It's this feeling of being enough. It feels like every time I've kind of like reached what I thought for sure would work, somebody moves the goalposts. This world is hard. Relationships are tough. It's hard to get along with people. You know what's super frustrating? I don't know if you notice this, but the people that it seems to be the most difficult to get along with are often the people who mean the absolute most to us. The ones we love the most. The ones we care about the most. And yet it's so difficult at times to get along. Something broken in this world. There's a lot of beauty, but we live in a world of anxiety also. We live in a world of jealousy and insecurity and depression. See, way back in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the heavens and anything, everything in the earth. And God said it's good. It's perfect. It's blessed. Creation was good and perfect and blessed. And then God created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. He created them good and perfect and blessed. He created them with free will. And so somewhere along the line, they took that free will and they used it to walk away from God. And when they did so, they walked away from goodness, perfection, and blessing. And something in that moment, something in this world system was broken. I don't need to convince you of that. You've seen it. You understand it. We see it all around us. But here's what's interesting. We also see it inside of us. When you place your faith in Jesus, when Jesus saves you, you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. The Bible says that God puts a new spirit in you. And that spirit that God puts in us is good and perfect and blessed. But inside of us, there's another force at work, and that force, according to the Bible, is called the flesh. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit and your flesh are fighting, and will be fighting all your life until you step into eternity. It's why sometimes you say, man, tomorrow's gonna be a day what a day I'm going to have tomorrow. It's going to be a masterpiece. Tomorrow is going to be unreal. I'm going to set my alarm for 5.40 a.m. I'm going to get up. I'm going to crack open the Bible. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray. After I'm done, I'm going to go for a jog. Three miles, maybe five. I haven't decided yet. Probably not four, though. And when I'm done jogging, I'm going to do some push-ups. I'm going to have a shower. Then I'm going to go to work and just light it up at work. I'm going to get home. I'm going to love my kids, encourage my spouse. It's going to be an awesome day. But here's the thing about tomorrow. Do you notice that every 24 hours or so, tomorrow becomes today? You ever notice that? And, and, then, and then tomorrow becomes today, and you didn't wake up at 540, did you? You pushed the snooze button 20 times. And instead of going for a run, you spent your whole day living on pizza pockets and Red Bull. And at the end of the day, when you got home from work, after you kind of mailed it in at work, instead of hanging out with your kids and encouraging your spouse, you played eight hours of Diablo. That's how it ended up working out for you. What in the world happened? Well, that's easy. Absolutely easy. Jesus said it this way. 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the battle that will rage inside of you and inside of me until we step into eternity. The spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh. Galatians chapter five says it this way. You can live according to the spirit or you could live according to the flesh. And, and when you live according to the spirit, you know what? People start to look at you and they notice things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But when you live according to the flesh, they don't see that. They see discord and jealousy, insecurity, hatred, and rage. There's a grandpa talking to his grandson one day. He said, my boy, there's two wolves inside of you. Kid says, grandpa, two wolves? Yeah, he says, one wolf is a good wolf. And one wolf is good, it's love and hope, generosity and kindness. But he said, the other wolf is a bad wolf. The other wolf is greed and jealousy anger and hatred. And those two wolves, the grandpa says, are gonna fight inside of you your entire life. Little boy looks at his grandpa and says, but grandpa, which wolf will win? He says, my boy, the one you feed the most will win. Bible says it this way, feed the spirit, starve the flesh. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. How do you feed the spirit? Well, moments like this, I'm proud of you. If you're online or here in person, it's great. That's what we're doing. That's part of what we're doing, feeding the Spirit. Opening up your Bible and reading it. Spending time in prayer, joining a small group, all of that stuff. Or how about this? Every time God impresses upon you to take a step of obedience, even if it's difficult, and you take that step, you're feeding the Spirit. Well, how do you feed the flesh? That's easy. Every time you give into it. It's funny. That's a funny thing about the flesh, right? You think to yourself, oh, like, if I give in this time, it will be satisfied. No, 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 you don't get it. It's like what the grandpa said, right? The more you feed it, the stronger it gets, the more it wants. So this world will hate you. Number one, it plays out spiritually. This world is not a playground, it's a battleground. You will overcome resistance as long as you understand that the goal is not the path of least resistance. Secondly, it plays out existentially. We see a broken world system around us and also within us. Thirdly, it plays out relationally. It's probably important to note that as Jesus spoke to his disciples at the Last Supper, he knew that a vast majority of them were going to be killed because they believed in him. Jesus also knew that not too many years ahead, that people in the Roman Empire were going to look at these Christians, these followers of Jesus, and go, man, they're weird. Something really weird about these followers of Jesus. People in the Roman Empire looked at these followers of Jesus and, says, and said, you know what they value? They value kindness and compassion. Th those were seen as weakness in the Roman Empire. And they're weird. Not only that, the these followers of Jesus... You know what they believe in? They believe in being faithful to their spouse. That was unheard of in the Roman Empire. And not only that, they looked at followers of Jesus. And you know what these followers, of, listen to this, they actually valued their kids. Even, you're not going to believe this, 
even their daughters. Instead of many in the Roman Empire who, when they had a daughter, would take that newborn baby daughter, put it in the wilderness, and walk away. So they looked at these followers of Jesus and said, they're weird, they're different. And because they were weird and different, they they became a very convenient scapegoat, a, a very convenient way to take out frustration or lay blame within the Roman Empire. Christians were ripped apart by wild dogs. Christians were thrown to the lions. Christians were drawn and quartered. Drawn and quartered means they had their arms and their legs tied to four horses. And all the, all the four horses ran in different ways and they were literally quartered. The emperor Nero blamed the fire in Rome in 64 AD on Christians. He persecuted them to such a degree that he would take Christians, he would cover them in pitch, hang them from trees, and light them on fire to serve as torches for his lavish garden parties. It's interesting because you and I might look at that and say, man, there was some bad stuff that happened back in the olden days. That would actually be wrong. In the year 2023, more Christians will be killed for being Christians this year than any other year in all of human history. So why? Why does that happen? I think part of it would be this. You go back to the fact that we have a spiritual enemy. He has limited dominion in this world. And so what he does is he orchestrates events He inspires individuals to acts of great violence. Why? Because these followers of Jesus have been placed on this planet to bring hope and life and light and healing. But there's a second reason, and I think it's really important. It goes back to what I said earlier. You either live according to the spirit or you live according to the flesh. Remember? We live according to the spirit or we live according to the flesh. We need to understand something. That the gospel is deeply offensive to the flesh. The gospel is deeply offensive, even antithetical to those who live according to the flesh. The gospel says this, listen, the gospel says, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and so are you. You're a sinner in need of a savior. You're not good enough. You're not rich enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not enough enough. You're just not. You need help. You're a sinner in need of a savior. And those who are living according to the flesh find that deeply, spiritually even, at the core of who they are, they find that offensive. The flesh is self-reliance. The flesh is self-reliance. The gospel is deeply offensive. The gospel says, you didn't show up in this moment of human history by accident. But you are placed on this planet, right? You're here to bring hope and help. Well, that's deeply offensive to the flesh. The flesh is self-absorption. The flesh is me. Even when I pretend to make it about you, it's really about me. And so the gospel is deeply offensive to those who live according to the flesh. 
So what does that mean to Canadians living in 2023? I think it would be almost disrespectful to say that we will face persecution when compared to what the disciples walked through. But I would certainly say this, that we will at times face relational resistance. I'll give you a couple examples. So I've told you before, Jesus saved me in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer. Okay, one of the first things that I felt Jesus tell me was that I needed to leave Red Deer for a while. Nothing innately bad about Red Deer. There was just something really bad about me and Red Deer. Okay, places and patterns that were not going to help me become the truest version of myself. Okay? So, so I knew right away that I was supposed to come out to the West Coast and attend Trinity Western University in Langley. Okay? So January, Jesus saves me. September, I'm at Trinity. In the first week there, I met this girl named Corinne. We ended up getting married, you know? And, and what's amazing is that we found out we were both from Red Deer, even though we had never met in Red Deer. Now, we did make eye contact one time in Red Deer. It was significant. She thought I was awesome, okay? But you know what? That's not the point. Stick to the point, you guys. Okay, so get to, get to Trinity. Corinne and I are dating. November comes along. It's reading break. Okay, we're both from Red Deer. This is great. So we drive back to Red Deer. The second night we're there, a bunch of my friends, like a big group of my buddies are having a big toe tapper. You know, that's what we used to call it in Red Deer. A big party, okay? A big party. And so I'm so excited we show up. Now, I'm not exactly sure what kind of reception I thought that I was going to get. Balloons, cake, for he's a jolly good fellow. But, but I didn't get that. I didn't. I, I, I walked in, and one particular guy... You know, you can cough and say something at the same time. He does this. He goes, hypocrite. And I'm looking at him going, oh, you would not have said that 12 months ago. A few people around him laughed. And I just remember Corinne and I kind of standing there. A couple people came to talk to us. And we were there for about 10 minutes. One of my buddies walks up. He's like, it's so good you're here. You're going to be so stoked to hear this. Listen, listen, listen. Hey, some guy beat up one of our buddies last weekend. We know where him and all his friends are right now. And I just knew you'd want me to tell you, let's go. We're going to beat him and all his friends up. And I looked at him and I'm like, that sounds like, like a lot of fun, but I, 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 I don't think I should. And he stood there for about two seconds. And then he turned around and he walked away. And we haven't spoke since. So what was going on in that party? Now, I'll talk about my part in it in a few minutes. But what was going on in that party? When I walked into that party, more specifically, when I walked away from Red Deer, I deeply offended their sense of self-reliance. We had a plan. All of us, the Red Deer wingnuts, we had a plan. We were going to save ourselves. We were going to validate ourselves. We were going to prove our worth. It was a three-part plan. Parties, fights, and girls. It was foolproof, except it didn't work at all. But that was the plan. And everybody, every one of them would have looked at me and said, man, if there's one disciple of this plan who's like overachieving, as he tries, they would have said, it's me. And then in January, I pulled a shoot on that plan. And he's not working. It's not working. Things are just getting worse. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. When I walked into that party, specifically, somewhere deep down inside of them, it offended their sense of self-reliance. About a year later, 
Karina and I got engaged. In a textbook Mike Manis move, I spent all of my tuition money from my senior year of university on an engagement ring for Corinne. So I needed to get a job if I wanted to stay in school. So the very next day, I'm out in Langley driving around looking for a job. I walk into this gas station on 200th. I say to the owner, he's there. I say, do you need any help? He says, I do. When can you start? I said, right now. He said, you're starting right now. So I started working that day, which was great. Now, everybody else that worked at this big gas station was either a kid of his or a kid-in-law of his. Now, after Jesus saved me in January, I kind of come to this part of my life where I decided that instead of doing the least that I could get away with, that I was actually going to do my best. Because I read in the Bible and it says, whatever you do, work it out with all your heart. So I decided I was actually going to stop doing the least and start trying to do my best. In fact... Someone told me that as a Christian, we're supposed to be a blessing to others. And I was really thankful that this guy gave me a job. So I literally was thinking, man, I just want this guy to be happy that he hired Mike Manis. You know what I mean? And so when I got into work every day, there was always three of us on shift at any given time. I just wouldn't stand still. I was sweeping, I was mopping, I was stocking shelves, I was talking to customers. Kind of had this theory, I wanted customers to drive away and go, I want to go back to that gas station, you know? A few weeks after starting, one of his sons comes up to me and he says, you're annoying us. I said, I do have that effect on people, you know? And he said, no, I'm serious. You're annoying. Because it's almost like you come in here and you're trying to make us look bad. I said, no, 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 no. I just want your dad to be blessed that he hired me, you know? And, and, And the two of them would be sitting chatting behind the counter. I didn't care. That wasn't my issue. So what I tried to do from then on, I tried to be more friendly, but I still wanted to work real hard. So Corinne and I went away for Christmas break, and when I got back from Christmas break, I didn't have a job anymore. What happened? It's pretty simple. At that gas station, I deeply offended their sense of self-absorption. I deeply offended their sense of self-absorption because somewhere deep down inside, they had picked a lane. It was the same lane that I picked for years and years. Just do the least you can get away with. And then I showed up and I'm trying to do my best. Self-absorption said it's all about me, but now I'm living this life where I'm trying to be a blessing to the guy who owns the station. I deeply offended them. So it's true that you and I can face relational resistance in Canada in 2023. However, before we leave this sermon... I think we should go back to the passage. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they hated me, they will hate you. Who are the they? Who are the they that hated Jesus? Church people. Church people hated Jesus. Religious people. I think it's really important, right? Religious people hated Jesus. Church people hated Jesus. They were the they. They were the they. When he said, they hated me and they will hate you, it was church people. I think that's kind of important. Because in North America, in Canada, in Chilliwack, there's a lot of religious people walking around. And they live their lives, and they face some hatred and persecution, and then they walk away and they go, you know what? I'm just being hated, and I'm just being persecuted because I'm following Jesus. But that's not quite true. It's not quite true. There's a subtle difference. 
You're being hated and persecuted, not because you're a follower of Jesus, but because you're an idiot. You see, do you see the subtle difference? It's just subtle, right? It's just subtle. I'm being hated and persecuted because I'm following Jesus faithfully. Close, right? But just, just no, you're being hated and persecuted because you're an idiot. Here's the problem with religious people. Oh, and by the way, the flesh and the spirit are still battling inside of me, so there's, all, there's a little religious in all of us. Here's the problem. When you give into it, when you become a religious person, you pretend like you're living according to the spirit, but you're actually living according to the flesh. The world finds that deeply offensive. Oh, and by the way, they should. See, the, the flesh is about self-reliance, right? The flesh is about self-reliance. I want to talk to you about religion, how we're tempted to step into it all the time. See, the longer that you've been a part of a church, you start to forget who you were when Jesus saved you. Jesus saved you. Can you believe it? It's amazing. It's amazing, right? Like Jesus saved you right where you were at. Like, I'm still amazed by it. See, Jesus saved me not because I'm amazing, but because he is. Problem is, there's this religious part in all of us, and what happens to religious people is they begin to forget that. See, because this is what happens. I believe in Jesus. Nothing that I did to achieve it, right? I just received his salvation, right? And I went from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. He puts a new spirit in me, and he begins to change me from the inside out, and it's pretty beautiful. I'll become the, tr the, the truest version of me, step by step, moment by moment. But what happens to religious people is they flip it. And, and instead of saying, hey, hey, Jesus saved me and then he changed me. It's so awesome. They start to tell the story a little different. I changed, so then Jesus saved me. Happens all the time. And the world finds that deeply offensive. See, because religious people say that they're living according to the spirit, but they're actually living according to the flesh. They're completely self-reliant. Remember 18-year-old Mike Manis? What was the three-part plan? Parties, fights, girls. Parties, fights, girls. For religious people, rules, regulation, reputation. And then a religious person walks up to 18-year-old Mike Manis and says, repent! <laughs> and Mike Manis says, how dare you? Are you kidding me? Repent. You're just like me. You say that you're living according to the spirit. You're just like me. See, your plan isn't parties, fights, and girls. Your, par your plan is rules and regulation and reputation. That's it. We're exactly the same. How dare you step into my life and tell me that you're needing to change me? And then we grow up, right? So it's not like 18-year-old Mike Manis. We've got a world full of people that have different three-part plans. Right? For some people, maybe it's money and power and pleasure. And religious people walk up to them and say, hey, I just want to tell you a few things. This is how you should look. This is how you should act. This is how you, this is how you should vote. 
This is who you should have sex with. This is just really what you should be if you want Jesus to actually love you. And the world looks at them and says, how dare you? How dare you? I got my three-part plan. It might be money and power and pleasure, but so do you. So do you, rules, regulations, reputation, fella. See, one thing that we can't ever forget. Jesus didn't save me. He saved me. Can you believe it? He didn't save me because I'm amazing. He saved me because he's amazing. We live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Religious people, they say they're living according to the spirit, but they actually live according to the flesh. Self-reliance and then self-absorption. Self-absorption is just, right? You can always tell a religious church because more and more and more, they start to talk about stuff like this. Us and them. Us and them. Us and them. Us in our own four, 14, 21 walls. Okay, whatever. Okay, right? That, but, but, but that's it. It's us and them. It's us and them. It's us and them. It's us and them. But if you read the Bible, you understand that there is no them. There is no them. There is no them, there's only us. There's only us, there is no them, there is only us. There's a missionary named Jim Elliott. Years ago he says this, we're a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody who could save anybody. Now I have one beef with Jim Elliott on the quote, I don't think we are a bunch of nobodies. That's the difference. For some reason, the God of the universe, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords loves you infinitely. He delights in you. But we're telling everybody about somebody who could save anybody. Hey, hey, hey. He saved me. <laughs> there is no them. There is no them. There is no them. There is no them. There is us. So when you walk around the world, every single person you lock eyes with, they're just like you. Who are they? They're a sinner in need of a savior, just like you. Just like me. This world will hate you plays out three ways. Number one, spiritually, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. Two, existentially, there's a broken world system that plays out around us and also inside of us. And finally, relationally, relationally. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive to those who live according to the flesh. And so, and so, and so. If we're gonna be hated, can we make sure that we're hated for the same reason that Jesus was hated? Can we make sure we're hated for our love? Love is patient. Love is kind, it doesn't boast. Love is patient. There's people in your life, there's people in my life, and we look at them, we're just like, how can you not get it? <laughs> you know, come on. Be patient, be patient, be patient. Love is patient. Right now, they haven't met Jesus yet. 
They're still spiritually dead. Be patient. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Remember that party? Guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, let's go beat some people up. And I'm like, can't. And he walked away and never talked to him. You know what I should have said? I should have said, hey, man, I, I don't think I can go beat people up with you. But can I buy you lunch? Can we still be friends? Doesn't boast. Love doesn't boast. Why did Jesus save you? Because you're amazing? No, because he is. Because he is. So here's my message to the world. It's so easy for me. It's so easy for me. Here's my message for the world. <laughs> Jesus saved me. <laughs> Think about that for a second. If he could save me, he can save anybody. Let's pray. I'm gonna to talk to you about God's amazing grace. Today's the day. Jesus loves you so much. He went before you into this spectacular moment. He wants to save you. He's amazing. He loves you just as you are. He delights in you. So my question for you right now is this. Have you ever received his free gift of salvation? Your sins forgiven. You're made brand new. Power to change. Hope for the future. Walking with you all the way into and through forever. So if you've never received that free gift with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just raise your hand right now because I want to pray for you. Nice and high if you don't mind. Amazing. If you're online and it's safe to do so, I'd love it if you could raise your hand. There's something powerful about that word expression. Okay, you can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud. I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I ask you to be my savior. I wanna move past my past. So I hand you my sin and my shame and my regret. And I move on. Thank you. Today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. Give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time today, tomorrow, and forever. And God, we come together as Southside right now and we pray to you, whether we've been going to church for a month or decades and decades and decades, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. I pray that you would give us eyes to see that if there's areas of our life right now where we're facing resistance, that we would understand that the stakes are incredibly high and we will overcome with your help. And God, I pray that we would be people who feed the spirit and starve the flesh. We're not perfect, but help us be faithful. We're not flawless, but help us be faithful people who more and more and more people on the outside look and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see something in you. And Jesus, may we, may we be defined by our patience and our kindness and our humility. May we be defined as you were by our love. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. Hey, so next week, I want to talk about this. 
This world will let you down. Specifically, what I want to talk about next week is for a lot of us, we find ourselves in this situation at 30 plus years old where I'm, I'm just about at. Okay, we find ourselves at this situation, right? People got me into this. People got me into this. Now people will get me out. And it doesn't work, but I will tell you what does work next week. I love you. See you then. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.